This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. And now, here's your host, Mackenzie Johnston. Good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this Friday afternoon market recap. Today we're chatting with Comstock Investments' very own Eric Ralph. He is one of our brokers and also the branch manager at our home office in Royal Iowa. So let's just dive right into these markets. What did we see today with the market's close? So kind of a mixed bag, really. We, we keep tightening into these patterns in the grains corn and soybeans particularly, uh, you just can't get any movement. And I think I'd like to blame some of that on the fact that we're setting spring crop insurance pricing right now. And so you, you kind of go into a natural stagnation in the market, you know, that everything stays kind of even keel and all that. But it's more than that because we have a technical setup that has warranted this, and, and we've talked about this numerous times in reports and everything else, uh, meetings that we've had. and. Uh, we are tightening into this pattern. The problem is we're going to run into a point where we're going to break out and it's going to be one way or the other. It doesn't necessarily have to be up or down. And so that's the big unknown. Uh, and now I think we're, we're kind of pushing into that wedge tight enough where we could have chart pattern breakouts before this month is over. So that, as far as grains goes, that was the biggest deal. But I was really encouraged by what we saw today in the grains, given the fact that energies were getting hammered lower. Crude oil, natural gas, refined products, uh, the heating oil, the Arbob gasoline, everything was sharply lower most of the day today, and the grains were able to post some green on the board, and I thought that was encouraging. And why is that? Why, why is uh, the energies getting hammered so? It, well, it, it's it's multifold. Um, the biggest one for this week, really, is we have uh, International uh, Energy Agency, uh, IEA, uh, they put out inventory reports. You know, builds in inventory in any of these products lean us to believe that, okay, well, we're probably not using what we should seasonally, and therefore we get these gluts of supply. Uh, and we saw large inventory builds in crude oil and natural gas this week, surprisingly large. Uh, and we also saw uh, builds in inventory in both heating oil and gasoline. Uh, so naturally, uh, higher supply obviously is indicative of lower demand, uh, so you end up with lower prices. And I think that was the primary driver this week. And then everything else just kind of falls in underneath that. Mm-hmm. Uh, relationship with China, what's going on with Russia, everything starts weighing in. And what's the global demand going to be like? And what's the movement going to be like? And, yeah. and you know, China is the big buyer of energies. And if our relations with them are, are hindered because of everything that's been going on, instigated by the whole balloon debacle, uh, then what's their, you know, are they going to be shopping U.S. energies? Um, before we move on to China and Russia, can you touch quickly on our livestock markets this week, both cattle and hogs? What did we see in those in those markets? Uh, so hogs continue to fight slaughter numbers. You, you can you can kind of pick and choose your data points, and even on a day when you have a sharply higher cutout, uh, even maybe a little supportive cash trade. It boils down to what are the numbers looking like. And as long as the market is seeing high levels of slaughter numbers, it's going to be difficult to get any traction in the hogs because it's 
telling us that the supply is plentiful. So if they're, if the slaughter numbers stay up, we're going to have a hard time regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been our biggest uphill battle. Is And last week we saw some nice jumps in the hog market. Uh, that was because last week we had several consecutive days where slaughter numbers were lower. Then we finished lower for the week, and everybody thought, okay, it's beginning now. Finally, we're starting to see signs that the supply isn't out there. And then the very next week, slaughter's right back up. Okay, well, I guess we have enough hogs, and, and here we are. In the case of the cattle, it's kind of been my contention for a while that 165 in the April cattle, which is the key contract right now, is going to be difficult. Um, and that has proven so. We have traded through 165 several times. We've only had one close above 165 in the April. But we are seeing improving cash. Um, as the cattle are getting cleaned up, the weather's given us a little break in the north. Uh, we're seeing you know significant amount of 162 trade in Iowa. Uh, we're seeing two to three dollar higher dress trade, particularly in Nebraska. The cash market is going to be the driver, has been for quite a while. And now we add in the, the wrinkle that we're seeing sharply higher box beef. And I, I think that's a bit holiday relative. A lot of the box buying is being done now leading up to Easter, and everybody seems to favor that, well, Easter hams will go higher. You know, ham's not the only alternative, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are seeing some of those choice cuts increase as people start preparing. And, and really, you know, we're only about a month out from starting to build up inventories for grilling season. So, yeah, the, the live cattle market looks good. Feeder cattle are struggling a little bit. We haven't made new highs in many of the feeder cattle contracts for a while. Uh, but they have been outpacing the fat cattle leading up to this week. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next week. Why do you feel that feeder cattle are struggling a little bit? I'm kind of, I'm probably in a minority on the feeder cattle side of things. I, I think that we saw a lot of light calves hit the market early. And guys were paying, at the time, what we thought was a heck of a premium for them. But as it, as it turned out, uh, the market kept accelerating and probably at a higher pace than it should have because corn was dropping back a little bit. You know, when corn starts going sideways to lower, feeder cattle are the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. And so we saw this kind of perfect recipe over a few week period where cash in the barns was going sharply higher. Uh, there wasn't a lot of inventory out there because the, a lot of the sales were fighting weather issues and everything else. And, and so you had a limited supply going out and what seemed like really high prices for these stalkers and, and lightweight calves. But then the larger feeders that were acquiring that inventory realized, you know, the market kept moving. And so now I think you've got stockers that have packed on a few pounds going back to the barns. And now I think you have this recycle of inventory. And typically when that starts happening, that, that eh, kind of pumps the brake pedal a little bit. So cattle on feed report next Friday, what are you expecting? Well, until we see average estimates, which won't come out until probably Tuesday, it's a little hard to pinpoint, but I mean, we're we're likely to see lower placements. It's just the nature of reduced herd size. With those limited numbers for a couple of weeks, I, I, th- I think leading up here, we could see, even if the estimates come out a, a little bit uh, optimistic, we could still outperform that just because of what was going on in January. And that's something I think a lot of people lose sight of. This report comes out or on February 24th, but it's numbers as of February 1. So mm-hmm. we have to look back to January and go, okay, what were we seeing in January? Well, we had a lot of special sales coming off a two-week break to start the month. 
uh, you know, because a lot of barns are closed for Christmas and New Year. So then that first week following New Year when the barns are open, that's one of the hottest weeks of the year to be selling feeder cattle. But then after that, weather took over and we kind of hit the brakes. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays. There was some big sales going on, you know, OKC, Joplin, some of the big players that that were selling record numbers during those special sales during that first week. And, you know, that, that could offset some of the weather issues that we had in other places, but I doubt it. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where the estimates come out. Uh, we should be printing those numbers by Tuesday or Wednesday next week. So let's circle back to China really quick. They're threatening yeah. to retaliate against U.S. because we blew their balloon up. How's that going to impact the markets? What could we see play out here? Well, we're already seeing some of it. Um, there are things that kind of market-wise you can you can read things if you know what the primary uh, driver behind the movement is. And one of those is cotton. China makes the U.S. cotton market, hands down, uh, by far and away, the biggest consumer of U.S. cotton. And the cotton market has taken a pretty good hit uh, just since all this has started. I mean, we've we've watched what looked like a really nice, uptrending, probably going to accelerate market drop off uh, in the case of the front month cotton. I mean, we moved from 87 cents to 80 cents in a week. That's a big drop. So you're starting to see some little indicators of caution, at least, much like when Russia invades Ukraine, you know, the crude market was the first to report that. That kind of thing goes on. And if you if you kind of know the driver behind it, it, it becomes a little more transparent. And so we're starting to see it there. Um, soybeans, they're a big China market. Uh, we're starting to see the meal soften a little bit. And even uh, today, we have both meal and oil lower with, with the lower crude. And so if those products keep coming down, then that reduces the crush margin. Then the domestic use goes down a little bit, and we have yet to see any sizable exports. At the same time, we're seeing Brazil come online with a massive crop. So a lot of these Chinese markets, we rely on them this time of year for, particularly with the cotton and now corn, they're not present buying. And so if this escalates, how long could they go without U.S. products? Some will argue that, well, if it's cheaper, they're going to buy it. Well, that's true. Low prices cure low prices but how low is low. So let's talk a little bit about Ukraine. Ukraine grain exports for the 2022-2023 season, which runs through June, as you're aware, are down almost 30% to 28.2 million metric tons so far due to a smaller harvest and logistical difficulties caused by the Russian invasion. And we continue to see fighting intensify in Ukraine, and who knows how bad that's going to get. How is this impacting the markets, and how do you see it impacting the markets going forward? Well, I'm surprised at how little it's impacted us thus far, honestly. That was a major, major unknown. We knew Ukraine was the second largest wheat exporter in the world. We knew they were the third largest corn exporter in the world. Uh, so when all of that started, you know, wheat market was very quickly following the crude market and telling us something was going on. Uh, the wheat shot up that day, I want to say 50, 60 cents. And it was like, oh, okay, it must be happening, right? Even mm-hmm. before the news outlets are reporting it. And, and so you, you definitely saw these big reactions, but then as time went on, and then of course, at the opening of the safe corridor, uh, I say in quotations, it was it was really less of an impact than we thought, and and through all of this, the U.S. exports have remained stagnant uh, in wheat. Um, so 
there was a lot of perception that okay we're you know we're going to be the only game in town for for wheat and corn other than when brazil harvests the safrina crop uh so for the bulk of the year we're it and it really didn't make much impact you know the, the safe corridor gets open you've got bottled up ships they start moving that obviously you know creates a bit of a a a glut for a brief time and then things kind of get on a normal pace well then that's kind of deteriorating but at the same time we don't see big shoppers coming to us you know when their supply is is not going out either and so it's it's been a bit of a surprise but moving forward i would expect that at some point the likes of china are going to get into a situation where there there genuinely isn't an alternative but that goes back to the prior question and and how bad do these relations hurt that working relationship and remains to be seen but uh we do know through contacts in ukraine that they're not going to plant near as much they're not able to move near as much Mm -hmm. if they can't move it they won't produce it that's you know and so it's just a trickle-down effect that could take three or four years to fully recover from. So you talked a little bit about wheat. NOAA updated its three-month outlook for March through May, and it shows uh, odds favoring above normal rain, likely for much of the Western Corn Belt and all of the Eastern Corn Belt. However, things are not looking too great for the western third of the Central Plains, the Panhandle of Oklahoma, and also the western two-thirds of Texas. Mm How is this going to impact the wheat market? Well, I think we're already seeing a lot of it. You know, I could rewind, oh, let's say three to four years, and Chicago wheat, which is the SRW wheat, would hold a dollar-plus premium, eh, say 80 cents to a dollar 20 over the KC for, for a time period of a few years in there. And right now, you know, I'm, I'm looking at new crop prices, and KC's got a dollar two premium over the Chicago, and I think that's legit. The HRW country for the KC wheat uh, is exactly what you're talking about. The drought's going to continue, the pressure's going to stay on there, and they just can't seem to catch a break. Whereas your SRW country, a lot more moisture, seem to be in a lot better shape. So, so you're already starting to see some of that, and. The, the one that is a bit of a head-scratcher now is what does this mean for spring wheat planting? Because a lot of these areas that spring wheat has grown have had significant snowfall. As that melts, places like North Dakota, where you do see a lot of spring wheat planted, they, they don't have good runoff, and, and the water stands, and that could be more of a wild card. And you're seeing a little bit of that priced in, too. You've got May spring wheat up at 923 holding a 50-cent premium to the July KC. So the market is already pricing in some of these scenarios, but <clears throat> wheat does have nine lives, and it's going to be April before we have any kind of real idea what it's going to look like, especially in the Western Plains. So for now, it's kind of a, you know, the market's priced in this dollar premium. And they'll probably hold that, let it see how it plays out for a little while, and then try to make a decision when it gets a little closer to uh, emergence and, and we start to see some of these conditions. With this NOAA updated outlook, things do look pretty good for um, the Corn Belt when it comes to moisture. How are we going to see that impact the markets? I think it's going to happen sooner than later, a little bit of my fear. You know, that update alone, now we're starting to get into meaningful time frames. You know, so the last 90-day update carried us through April. Well, 
yeah, April matters, but not like May and certainly not like June, July, August, or September. And so every time that comes out and you get more people leaning towards either neutrality or even a shift into a full El Nino from this current La Nina phase that we've been in now for over two years, I think people are going to be more willing to lock up break-even and slight profit levels. So then that puts pressure on the futures markets. Uh, so with regards to corn and soybeans, it's it's going to be very interesting. There's, there's obviously a lot more factors, but that one in particular – that, that could start to gain a lot more traction, especially after this most recent release. And then the, the next one to come, that covers the June time frame. Now we've encompassed all of the planting and starter period. Yeah, very significant and definitely want to keep a close eye on this because if the next one comes out like this one, then you're going to see a lot more hedging market sell pressure. So the USDA issued their long-term outlook for global ethanol, and it was quite a long report. But with that being said, what were your key takeaways from that report? The key takeaway for me was that they are really looking at increase in biofuel usage. You know, this renewable fuel standard changes that'll come over a course of you know, several years. I think they tried to project what to 2030, mm-hmm. and and during that time frame, with the expansion in the EV market and everything else that we're facing, uh, that's creating a lot of headwind really for the ethanol industry. They are really banking on expansion, and it's it's about gotta be through minimum mandates. And so that that definitely was the key takeaway. They've they've almost projected things to occur in a manner that would indicate mandatory E15. One last question. Are there any notable stories coming out of South America to watch right now? Uh, the, the biggest thing right now is traders are banking on the idea that there are, there are going to be issues moving through the next 30 or so days. So what are those issues? Right now, Brazil, southern Brazil, it's drought. Argentina, it's been drought. Uh, everybody knows about those. Now they're kind of banking on the idea that this soybean harvest is going to go slow enough that then the safrina corn will be late in going in the ground. And so that is something that I feel has been giving a little bit of support to the corn market and a fair amount of support to the soybean market. However, they are now in full swing. Um, At last report that I heard, they were about 25% harvested. Uh, That's been a few days ago. That alone stresses their logistics. Their ports are maxed out. Their roads are maxed out. And so it it is literally just as fast as they can get it out to sea, they are doing so. And and we'll start to see that ship activity reflected in the tracking maps uh, that we'll watch over the next several weeks. But the idea of delays impacting availability on the global cash market is probably the biggest storyline right now. Although, ultimately, our, our general bias is that the crop will come out, it will be record large, and it will get out to the global cash market in time. Uh, There's just going to be a little bit of delay here for the short term. Is there anything else you want to touch on with the markets before I let you go today? Um, I guess uh, one thing that we've we've seen here in the last several days is um, coming preseason before Brazil was, was even planted, uh, the USDA was looking for Brazil and Argentina to combine for about 200 million metric tons of soybean production. And then most recently, I saw a, uh, a report from a, a well-followed group called AgRule out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. 
indicating their their estimate now uh, with the trouble that that we've seen in southern Brazil and Argentina and some of these delays and issues that have been seen in northern Mato Grosso, they've reduced that to 186 million metric tons from the USDA's original 200 projection. And so that's a 14 million metric ton difference, which is about half a billion bushels, which is over double the U.S. carryout number. So obviously we don't know anything yet, but if those numbers kind of come through, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how the market reacts to it. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.